0: Jason and uh, Caitlin Sowers have been with us for several months, quite a while, a little while, uh, and then Caleb showed up one day, and uh, I've had so much fun getting to know them, mostly Caleb, but you guys are okay too, uh, but Jason and I have had some some really good talks. One of the first weeks he was here, he we, we visited for a while, we played guitar together. He's a pretty good guitar player. Uh, he's going to have to play for us someday, or I will, so Pray that Jason plays for us sometime. Um, but the first week he was here, he asked if he could tell me his story. And uh, he shared with me. And then a couple weeks ago, he said, can I share my story in church? Can I share my testimony in church? And I said, I would love for you to do that. We've worked it out. And it happened that today just was going to be the perfect day to do that. So Jason's going to come. Would you welcome him as he comes and shares his testimony?
1: My name is Jason Sowers, I know y'all don't know me too much, I mean some of you do. I'm, uh, I was born with a bad heart called the hyperplastic left heart syndrome, I don't know what that is but apparently it was a bad thing. Anyway, when I was born with it, diagnosed with it, uh, I was born at Sarah Bush in Mattoon, uh, they didn't know what to do so they basically sent me home to die. Um, then God said something else. So it was pretty much in my life at the beginning. I didn't realize that. Of I was just a baby. Um, um, three weeks after I was born. I was Sarah Bush, or uh, St. Louis. i Children's Hospital. I guess called my dad and told him that they had a heart set up out of out of nowhere. So it's a life changing. <laughs> And then, well, the surgery was successful, obviously. I'm still here. And then um, the heart medication, a few, weeks, a few years down the road, started to affect affected my kidneys. So I had to have another surgery done in 2001. And then I was on dialysis for at least a year. And I was so fed up of laying on the bed every day, not really able to go outside and do anything. I couldn't even go to school. And I was I was I was fed up and I was like, I'm tired of this. And then my dad prayed and prayed and and then it was like and then I was like I want to give my life to God at, I think I was eight years old. And I was like, I'm just tired of this. And I think if I accept him, maybe he'll do something. <laughs> so in 2001, I also had a kidney transplant. So it, I, I was in and out of the hospital through pretty much half my life. And then it was it was rough for me getting stuck with needles. It was like, I gotta get blood draws every every three months. Uh, it's kind of normal to me anymore. But growing up and then going to church, my my family is pretty I'm a Christian. They they like my grandpa was a deacon at his church, and so we we always went to church with him and stuff like that. Uh, it wasn't until high school that God actually started to intervene with me. Like, I started to know him and started to learn the Bible a little bit. And then and then once I started to know a lot more, I was, I was really fired up for God. I love being around stuff. I love being around the church. I couldn't even stop going to church, man. I, I loved it all the time. I liked being there on Sundays, Sunday nights, Wednesdays. She had on mission trips. You know, I liked hanging out. And then after high school, I got with some friends that I never should have. And uh, they led me down a path where I shouldn't have never been, but everybody has their faults. And I started doing stuff that I shouldn't. Got into a lot of a lot of problems, a lot of stuff. And then I didn't know how to get out of it. I was struggling. And I was, I pretty much led myself away from God and wanted to do my own thing. And I ran away. It it was heartbreaking to me. And I didn't see that. And I was pretty much blinded by it because just hanging out with these friends. And, And I was. Mm-hmm. I only dated probably about three times, thank goodness and uh, after my last uh, dating person that I was with and I was like I was fed up with it, I didn't want to do this no more, I finally broke down to where I was like, I want to I stop this, like everything it's like I want to turn my life around again, I want to Get back with God, and I wanted I wanted to do something different. So, I started working at McDonald's uh, there in Casey, and it's uh, where I met my wife. Um, uh, she was my trainer, and uh, and then I believe it was Halloween night where I asked her out on a date. I'm um, uh. We went on a few dates before I actually asked her out, because um, I wa- I wanted to be sure. I wanted to make sure this was right. I wanted to make sure because I was fed up with dating and stuff, and I was like, I want to be careful. So she got to know me. She got she got to know me. She I got to know her. So and then let's see two years we were together. De- start living together. I know that's probably not right, but I'm glad I did it now. I mean, even though it probably wasn't right, but I'm glad I did it because now I have an successful family that I have. And then I have a son, which I'm very proud of. And I love him to death. He's awesome. And I still hang out with the friends that I do that led me down the wrong path but I'm trying to change their life instead of them trying to change mine so thank you
0: thank you buddy thank you you so much let's pray for Jason right now so Father I don't think any of us could, could see your hand on our lives as clearly as Jason sees your hand on his Lord there was a time when as a child his life was almost over And you intervened over and over again. Father, you intervened uh, and gave him a new heart. Uh, You intervened and gave him a new kidney. Uh, You intervened and gave him a new life and a new baby and a new wife. Uh, And Father, I thank you uh, just for your presence continually there. Lord, uh, there are people in in Jason's life who still need to know you. Uh, And they don't know you yet, but they know Jason. Uh, And so I pray for the strength that he needs and the maturity he needs and the peace of heart that he needs. To, uh, to lead them closer to you and draw them into your presence. Father, in the same way that you've made yourself known uh, to Jason, I pray that you make yourself known to them through him and through his incredible testimony, his story for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jason wouldn't be here if he still had his old heart. Uh, his life couldn't have continued. And so someone had to die to give Jason what he needed. At, at the young age of just Three weeks old, is that right, Jason? Just three weeks? And thankfully, there was, a, there was a loving father and mother somewhere who made a very difficult decision and gave their child's heart to Jason. It's a beautiful picture of what our Heavenly Father has done for us by giving us His Son. And Jason, that, that's more than a testimony. You're, you're a living parable. You are, your life is a parable of what God's love has done for us. Thank you so much for sharing that. And the lesson is there for all of us. The lesson there for all of us is something's wrong with our hearts. And the Bible's very clear about that. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention and the thought of His heart was only evil continually. And then we come to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, 26, God reveals His plan to fix this. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, the heart that doesn't work, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And so, we've been spending this time in Colossians calling it called out. And in the first half of Colossians chapter 3, we saw what was wrong with that old heart. And we saw that we have to put to death a lot of stuff that's been in our lives Put to death the the immorality, and then he says, take off the sins of anger and wrath and malice, and he says, stop lying to each other, and he tells us all that to lead us to Colossians chapter three verse twelve, where Paul says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. And what follows in verses twelve through seventeen, which we'll be looking at. Today, it's on page 984 again. What follows in verses 12-17 through are qualities that display Christ's character in our lives. And you know, if you remember back from chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 15, Paul wrote about Jesus and he said that He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So we know what God is like, even though we can't see Him, we know what God is like because we know Jesus. We see compassion in Jesus, we know that God is compassionate. We see love in Jesus, we know that God is love. We see forgiveness, we, we know that God forgives. We, we understand the character of God because we see Jesus. But how do people around us know what Jesus is like? How do they know who Jesus is? They need to be able to see Him in us. Every aspect of our being should reflect the character of Jesus. When we let Jesus fill our lives we become living proof of His presence. I'm going to look at verses 12-17 through there in Colossians 3. Paul says, "...put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive." To God the Father through Him. In order to live, Jason needed a new heart. And it had to be the right heart. It had to be the, the perfect heart. And it's amazing that that perfect heart came along, nothing short of miraculous. But even then, without proper medication and without proper care, Jason's body would have rejected that heart, wouldn't it? It would have rejected that heart. His body would have become hostile to his heart. And so his heart and his body had to be reconciled through medication. So that's, that again is a, is a picture of what Paul has already said about us. If you go back again to Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 say, and you, now he's talking to us, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, you were doing evil deeds. He, that is Jesus, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, we had to be reconciled. But just like what Jason went through physically, there's a big if. If Jason's body had rejected the heart, it it wouldn't have worked. And there is a big if in verse 23 of chapter 1. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. There's that big if. Everything we read here in chapter three is a commitment on our part to get through that big if. And so Paul phrases that commitment in different ways, and he begins by saying he begins by phrasing it that that we must be clothed with Christ. He tells us we must be clothed with Christ. And guys, I'm talking to the men for a minute. Guys, I know you've had this experience. I know this has happened to you before. You've you've gotten up in the morning, you've had your shower, and you've gotten dressed, and you you stood there in the mirror after you got dressed, and you thought to yourself, I did pretty good. I I look okay, right? And you walked out of the bedroom and you got that look from your wife. You're wearing that. (laughs) Matt's nodding his head, he's been there. (laughs) You are not Wearing that with that. Go back and try again. And for some of you, (coughs) Steve, (coughs) Steve, it got to the point that you get up and what, Steve? She's got your clothes laid out for you, right? You can't be trusted to do it right. That's kind of what Paul's talking about here. All these other things that, that, that he's just listed back there at the beginning of, of chapter 3 in, in verse 5. Put to death whatever is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires. And then you go down to verse 8. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. You can't wear those with what Jesus has for you now. They're going to clash. People are going to make fun of you if you walk outside wearing that you can't wear that with that so you have to take it off you have to remove it you have to do away with it to put on what he has for you and he has a new heart and so there in verse 12 put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved put on compassionate hearts kindness put on humility put on meekness and patience last week we looked at that list of sins in verses 5 and verse 8 And I said, I don't need to define these for you because you already know what this list of sins is all about. I don't think I need to define these things for you. I don't think I need to define compassion for you. I don't think I need to define humility for you or patience for you. We we know what these things are. And you know, we don't do a bad job of showing them to people that we love. People that we love, we'll be very compassionate to them. People that we love, we, we can be so kind. We can be so humble with people that we love. We can be so... We can be patient occasionally with people that we love. And that's great, but that's not the whole point here because Paul's not just talking about those people. And so he goes on in verse 13, and in verse 13 he says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Bearing with one another. Just make a mental note here. That means putting up with one another. That's that's what that word really means. It means that you're putting up with one another. And, And as soon as I said putting up with one another, someone came to mind, didn't they? Someone that you struggle to put up with came to mind. Someone who gets on that last nerve and they know how to push all the wrong buttons. They came to mind and some of a lot of the ladies turned and shot a sideways glance right then at somebody sitting next to you know it you know that person you know who they are or maybe not maybe you didn't shoot a sideways glance maybe it's someone who's really hurt you maybe it's someone who has wrecked a, a portion of your life and if that's happened no amount of me standing up here and quoting this verse and saying as the lord forgave you so you must forgive if someone has hurt you, no amount of me quoting that is going to do any good at all. It's not going to fix it. Last week we looked at that list of sins, stuff that we're supposed to kill, stuff that we're supposed to put away, stuff that we are supposed to stop doing, and I said that stuff is hard. And I was thankful, I'm thankful for grace to get through that stuff, because I need grace to to put those things away. And I wonder as I look at this stuff, this stuff is even harder. Sometimes compassion is harder. Sometimes being humble is harder. Definitely forgiveness is harder. and At times it feels impossible. So is there grace here? Are, Are we still thankful for grace? Is there grace in the words, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Do we have grace to do that? I hope there is. I think there is. Verse 14, he says, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Do you hear that? Put on love. Above all these. Put on love. Above anything that you can do. Above anything that you can forgive. Above anything that you can put up with. Put on love. And I really feel like it's a call to look beyond ourselves? I mean, it has to be a call to put to look beyond ourselves. Because he says, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And I stop and think, can you do anything in perfect harmony? I can't do anything in perfect harmony. I can't do anything in perfect harmony in myself, or let alone with other people. And so it has to be a call to look beyond ourselves. If, if 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 tells me that God is love. If 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 tells me that love never fails, then I have to be looking beyond myself. I have to be looking to God. I have to be seeking someone greater than myself. I have to be seeking the very presence of God in my heart. And that's exactly where Paul takes us. From being clothed with the character of Jesus to having our hearts ruled by the peace of Jesus. Look at... Look at verse 15. See what he says here. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. If you remember back to chapter 2, I mentioned in chapter 2, verse 18, there's that phrase there where he says, Let no one disqualify you. And I told you that that the way that's worded, the the words that's used there, you, you could actually say, Let no one act as umpire over your life. So let no one come along and see your life and say you're out or you're safe. Nobody has the right to make that call about us. And that's the same word that's used here. But listen to how it's used now. He says, let the peace of Christ act as umpire in your hearts. There are things that come your way and you wonder how do I handle this? There's situations that come up and you you don't know what what does the love of Jesus look like in this situation. The, The question isn't really, should I forgive? We know we should. But the question is, what does forgiveness look like in this particular situation? What does forgiveness look like? How do I forgive? Is forgiveness the same as letting someone off the hook? Is forgiveness the same as Trusting someone again? Is forgiveness the same as letting that person into the inner circle of your life and, and letting them be one of those important people again? You know, i got to tell you, not always. That's not always what forgiveness looks like. What does it look like to help people in, in different situations? Well, how, and it's not a question of should we help, but how do we help? How do we help without hurting is a big question. Many years ago, uh, this was before the fire, we had a, a young guy come to us. Uh, he wanted us to, want to ask if we'd, we'd pay a bill for him. And we do a lot of that kind of stuff, don't we? You know, we, we take care. Of, we have a benevolent fund. And some of you give specifically to the benevolent fund. Thank you so much. What that's there for is when we have a, a friend or a neighbor, someone in our community that has come up on something they can't handle themselves, the benevolent fund is there to help them out. And we pay a lot of bills and we buy a lot of gas and we, we take care of a lot of people with that benevolent fund. Thank you so much. I mean, it's a great ministry to, Wonderful opportunity. But a young guy came to us asking us to pay uh, his electric bill. And he gave me his bill. I can't remember the exact amount, but it was close to $1,000.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't know. You know, he left the bathroom light on for like a month. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you get a $1,000 electric bill. And I asked him, I said, how How did this get this big? Shouldn't you have done something before it got this big? And he gave me a lot of excuses, excuse after excuse as to why it was that big. And, and what it boiled down to is he just hadn't paid it. For months and months and months, he just hadn't paid his electric bill. And we talked about it a little bit more, and, and I said, there's no way we can pay this whole bill. So it, if anything, we can pay a part of it. But, but I said, even if we could pay it all, let's say we pay this entire bill, and, and this bill is gone. I said, what are you going to do next month? And he was honest with me. And he said, I'm not going to pay the bill. Now, I don't have to tell you, I don't think, that if the peace of Christ is acting as umpire in my heart, the peace of Christ was not telling me that paying this kid's bill was going to help him. That's not what the peace of Christ was telling me to to do in that particular situation. Enabling him was not helping him. Now some of you are in some tough places with some people in your lives, that people that you love very much, and you've, you've helped them, and you've helped them, and you've given, and you've given, and you've forgiven. And I don't have to tell you that even though you've done all that, there is still no peace in your hearts about what you're going through. And there's times when you've said, "Enough, I'm done. <laughs> And you felt miserable about doing that. And those people have made you feel more miserable about doing that. So let me tell you, from everything I read in this one little verse, verse 15, those people do not have ownership of your heart. They do not have the right to rule your heart. In fact, you don't have the right to rule your heart. You have been given Jesus' heart. It has been transplanted. It belongs to Jesus. And while it's full of compassion, it is also full, if you notice, it is also full of patience. And it might be in some situations where helping and loving looks more like waiting than doing. Remember the story of the prodigal son? We might call it the story of the waiting father. What did the father do? Did he run off and fix everything? Did he go looking for the kid and and make sure everything was right? No, he waited for the son to come back. But now here's the catch. Here's the catch for you and me. Do you remember last week? Let me go back again. Chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. Here's the catch. You can't be ruled by the peace of Christ if this stuff is still alive and active inside you. And so the first place you need to find peace is with yourself. And again, it requires a big dose of grace. Grace. But in the end, the result isn't just for us. It isn't just that we have peace. The result is for those people in our lives who need to know the presence of Jesus through us. They're only going to see Him in us. And so Paul's call is for us to fill our whole being with the Word of Christ. Verse 16, he says, "...let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom." You know, for the first 400 years of Christianity, for the first 400 years, there was no Bible the way we have it today. Um, there was a collection of books, a collection of letters, and there were some stories, but it, it was, wasn't until or 397 A.D. that that was codified into the books that we have now. Otherwise, it was just a little collection of stories here and there. But even then, even when, when it was finally put together, the vast majority of people we illiterate. They, they couldn't have read it if they wanted to. So how did Christianity survive all those years? Well, people knew the stories. You went to people who knew the stories. The stories were told over and over again. They were memorized. So if you wanted to know what Jesus said, or if you want to know what Paul wrote, you went to someone who knew the stories. Even more, you went to someone who lived the stories. How many times have you heard it said? I know I've said it many times, you may be the only Bible that some people ever read. And we say that, you know, the preacher says, and he always says it with that kind of voice. You may be the only Bible that some people ever read. And, and we sit there and we nod and we go, yeah, that's true. But in those foundational years of the faith, in the very beginning, when we were under the most persecution also, by the way, that's all we had. All we had was was each other. That's how Christianity survived. Uh, Verse 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I I love that. You be the Bible. You'd live the stories out for other people. This last week on Facebook, I I posted a quote from Clement of Rome. Clement of Rome was an early church leader. He was a disciple of Peter's. And uh, he died in... 101 AD so he was a contemporary there he he died about the same time that the apostle John died and Clement of Rome said this he said when the heathen when he says heathen he's talking about non-christians don't call your non-christian friends heathens uh, unless they call themselves heathens then you're allowed to okay if they're if they're willing to then you can call them heathens otherwise don't don't call your friends heathens But he says, when the heathen hear the words of God from our lips, they marvel at them as something beautiful and great. However, when they find out that our deeds are unworthy of the words that we speak, they turn from this to blasphemy. And they say that it's just a myth and that it's a delusion. 2,000 years ago. Not, Not much has changed, has it? People still call you on that if you're not practicing what you preach. And so Paul says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love that he says it that way. He's saying, let the Word of Christ have ample room in your heart. You, you've heard the stories. You know the character of Jesus. Now, now just go live it out. And he follows it up with, with a word about singing. I love this. He says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and with thankfulness in your heart to God. Have you ever noticed that if you get the right song stuck in your head, it makes all the difference that day, right? You, you start out with the right song stuck in your head, it's gonna make all the difference in the world. You know, if it's a if it's a praise song, that's great. You know, if it's it's a small world after all, you're gonna, you know, that, that you're done. Just take a hammer. That's like the little earworm right there. But if you get the right song stuck in your head, it makes all the difference. Get the right song stuck in your heart. It'll make a difference in you. He wraps it all up there in verse 17. He says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We think those are magic words, by the way. We treat them like they're magic words. I mean, that... If you don't end your prayers, and I am as bad about it as anyone, just listen to me pray. If I don't end the prayer with the words, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, then it didn't work. You know, I'm doing it wrong. I have to say those words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And when someone doesn't say those words, I go nuts inside. I'm like, no, you're doing it wrong. You have to say in Jesus' name. It's just a bad habit I've, I've picked up. You don't have to do that. We, we treat it like it's magic words. As long as I say in Jesus' name I pray, He has to do it. I've prayed some selfish prayers. I've prayed some bad prayers. And I've said the words, in Jesus' name we pray. And they were nowhere near Jesus' name the the way I prayed those. It's a a reference to a legal practice. If you had certain documents on you, and if those documents contained the right signature, they had the right name or the right seal, you could act on that person's behalf. We still do that today, right? Some of you have what's called power of attorney over a a friend or a relative, right? You You have power of attorney for that person. You can make decisions on their behalf. Well, in Paul's day, it was the same kind of a thing. If you had the right document, if you had the right name, you were allowed to travel to other countries. If you had the right document with the right name, you could make purchases for someone else. If you had the right document with the right name, people wouldn't kill you. That was very important. It was very important to make sure that no one will kill you if you're carrying this particular name. And so he says, whatever you do, word or deed, whether it's something you say or whether it's something you do, make sure it's done as a representative of Jesus Christ. Make sure you're acting in his authority and as his representative. And so we've gone from receiving his heart to receiving his name. We've, gone from, we've moved from acting in His character to acting in His authority. And the final result is giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Did you notice He mentioned giving thanks three times in these short verses? Three times He mentions giving thanks. I think thankfulness is a litmus test for us. If, if at the end of the day, if I can come to the end of the day and I can truly be thankful, then I've seen something of the character of Christ in my life that day. I've seen something of Jesus' heart in me. I've known His peace in my heart and I've acted as His representative to other people. And so my question for you today is not are you thankful? Three times we heard today that we are supposed to be thankful. My question for you is is someone else thankful because of you? Have you shown the character of Christ to someone? Have you acted with the peace of Christ acting as umpire in your life? And have you acted with His name and with His authority? So my question isn't are you thankful, but is someone else? Are there people who are thankful before, for you because you chose to act with a compassionate heart because you chose to forgive? Maybe even just because you chose to put up with them. Is someone thankful today? Make sure someone's thankful this week because they saw the presence of Christ in you. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, in Your love for us, You withheld nothing. Not even the life of Your Son. You gave us Your very heart. And we have been so blessed to know Your presence. But Father, there are people around us who are hurting. They, they are beaten down. They are in pain. And they have no peace. Lord, how, how could we withhold Your heart from them? And so clothe us with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience so that they might know You through us. And where there is no peace in their hearts, let us bring peace to them. And Father, when we find them difficult to put up with, and Lord, we will find some people who are difficult to put up with, help us to wrap Your love around us and around them. We ask this all, through the name and the authority of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.